Matt, I'm loving our series, our comeback series that uh, we're in the second week of this week and uh, over the next four or five weeks. We're going to be looking at all the amazing comebacks that take place and the God who caused them to take place in the lives of those who came back. Today is the life of Joseph. And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis and chapter 50, we're going to begin at the end of Joseph's story. I love beginning at the end of something like this. Uh, you know, I'm a football fan, as you probably know, and uh, bottom line on it is I love NFL comebacks. I love to watch a game where a great comeback is taking place. I even like better watching a game that I already know how it's going to end, watching the replay of that comeback. Now, it's a lot less tense to watch a game that you already know the end of, right? You know who's going to win, so it's a lot less tense. There's no anxiety. You don't worry. If there's a setback, then you know they're going to overcome the setback somehow because you already know the end of the game. And that's why I like to watch television shows, specials about NFL comebacks. They've come back 30 points down, but somewhere in the third quarter, the quarterback gets hurt. He's leaping off the field. and Everybody in the stands is going, oh, no. And I'm going, it doesn't matter. We're going to win the game. We already know we're going to win the game. Because we start with the end in mind. We already know who's going to win the game. You know, there's a very big part of that that's true theologically of those who follow our God. We know how the game is going to end. But sometimes as we go through that game, we forget who the victor is. We forget how God can always work something out in a supernatural way that is for our good, for his glory. We forget that God is able to do that. And that's why we're having this series on coming back and what it means to be in a comeback season. Today, the life of Joseph and the very last part of Joseph's life is where we begin. So let's stand together as we look at Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 18, the last few lines in the book of Genesis regarding the man Joseph. And I want you to see how this game ends. Because when you see how this game ends, you'll understand how all the pieces come together to make this ending. So here we are in the very last chapter of the book of Genesis, verse 18, where Joseph's brothers have come to him, where they're now bowing down before him because they fear him. These are the brothers that rejected him earlier in life. Joseph's been through all kinds of things to get to this moment in life, and God has placed him, as it were, like a turtle on a fence post. It's unexplainable that Joseph is in this place of great power and great influence, and he loves his brothers, he forgives his brothers, but here we pick up the story in verse 18. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Now, this is the comeback. After years of being threatened, after his brothers wanted to put him to death, after imprisonment and everything else he goes through, now he is an old man of 110, leading the whole nation of Egypt, rescuing the people of Israel. This is the epilogue of the story that helps you get to the end of the story. Father, in Jesus' name, walk us through the life of Joseph for a few moments today. Help us to see how our lives can end well when we walk with you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Be seated, please. 
The epilogue reveals the destination. And that's what I've just done. The epilogue explains the reason for the journey. So Joseph's life and his journey, in a sense, is explained by what we just read a few moments ago. It helps piece together the why and the when and the where is God. The epilogue is the hindsight that lets us look back and see with perfect, perfect 2020 vision. You know, I know very little about life as I approach it. I know a great deal about life as I look back on it. Don't you? You know what I mean? Now, that's why we started at the end in the life of Joseph and the, the crowning statement of Joseph's life. Here it is. Don't miss it. You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. In other words, Joseph says, as I walked through life, everything I saw coming at me looked like evil. It looked like it was against me. It appeared that it was going to defeat me or destroy me or quite literally even kill me. You meant it for evil against me, but God, I love that, but God, but God meant it for good. Now that statement's an awesome statement. It ought to be on your wall. It ought to be written in your Bible. But that statement doesn't mean much until you've lived through the story that gets a man like Joseph to the place at the end where he says, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. See, we're going through life today and we're really looking around at people and saying, you meant it for evil against me, period. That circumstance is against me, period. This time in my life is miserable, period. But there's no period there, there's a comma there. You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that's what we need to walk away with today. The end result of all that God is going to do in the life of Joseph is what he's going to do in the life of every person in this room today. You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. What a line, what a statement. So today we take this text to us and we want to make it real. Now, let me just share this about the life of Joseph, the story we're looking at today. It's really a story of overcoming evil. You meant it against me for evil. All kinds of evil is going on in the life of Joseph from very early on in life. As a matter of fact, the story of overcoming evil in the life of Joseph has several chapters. Let's walk through the chapters together very briefly. We'll look at chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50 of the book of Genesis today in a very brief moment of time, just kind of a jet flight over the life of Joseph. So first of all, Joseph's story is a story of rejection. A story of rejection. Chapter 37, verse 18, has a line where the brothers of Joseph are wanting to put him to death. And the Bible says they plotted against him to put him to death. That helps us to take a step back and look at the life of Joseph for just a few moments. Let me give you some details about this man's life. Joseph was one of 12 brothers. That's kind of a tough life as it is. Now, he's number 11 out of 12. That's even tougher. And 10 older brothers are his stepbrothers. They have a different mother than Joseph does. And Joseph's mother dies giving birth to his younger brother. So here is a young man who has 10 older stepbrothers. Not many of them really like him very well. His mother has already passed away. And he's got all kinds of circumstances in his life. Joseph is a favorite of his father's old age, the scripture says. So jo jo Jacob gives birth to Joseph in his old age and it's really an amazing picture how he favors him. This is the man that now has a many colored coat. 
You've heard the story of Joseph and the multicolored tunic, and that's the man we're talking about today. Seems to be a favorite of his father. He's a dreamer. He, he's a man that actually has dreams. And as ill-advised or not as it might be, he shares those dreams with his brothers. And some of those dreams are about their brothers falling down and bowing down to him and even the father bowing down to him. And so the brothers are resenting him for that. The father's even kind of questioning him and saying, well, even I bow down to you. And so Joseph has created this in his life. He's got brothers who despise him. They hate him. They're plotting against him. And in every sense of the word, Joseph is in a period of rejection. And this rejection is real. Sometimes rejection hits us hard and nearly destroys our lives because we want to be accepted by people. We want to be loved. Every one of us have this sense inside of ourselves that we want to be loved and liked by others. And sometimes we give a lot, give a lot. Sometimes we get nothing in return for that when it comes to other relationships, humanly speaking. So rejection is very real. Whether that rejection comes at the hands of a brother or a sister or a husband and a wife or a mother or a father or a friend who have personally rejected us in some, re in some way, it's real, it's painful, it's often devastating. Sometimes we're rejected because we're different. Sometimes rejection comes because we're not in the right group. It can be as simple as that. Sometimes our looks cause rejection. Sometimes the words that we speak, as in the case of Joseph, brought great rejection. Sometimes in a bully culture, there are just those out there who look forward to rejecting us in one form or another. You can be rejected today personally. You can be rejected uh, on social media. You can be rejected in so many different ways today. It's just amazing how many ways people can throw barbs at other people in this day and time. So Joseph is going through his own story of rejection. And all of us probably have a story of rejection at some season in life. I want to tell you today, every story of rejection has a really, really good ending when you realize God never rejects you. Amen. He never does. He never will. My own story is a story of rejection. I grew up uh, as, as a young boy with a hearing impairment. You've probably heard that story more than once, and, and that hearing impairment meant that I wore hearing aids, and that was really out of ordinary in the small town that I was brought up in. And so kids can be cruel. I was the object of a lot of jokes. A lot of humor was directed my way. Uh, and I, I felt bullied in many ways. I, I, I felt like a recluse in some ways. I felt rejected in many, many ways. And, and really, it all culminated about the age of 19, 18 or 19, in the parking lot of my college where I really heard the Lord hear my struggle with being rejected by other people, trying to please other people, please my peers by the peer pressure and giving into that. Well, he really brought me to the place of asking if his love wasn't enough for me and could it be enough? And that question was actually posed to me in my car while I sat in the parking lot one night, still vividly remembering, remembering saying to the Lord in prayer, Lord, your love is enough. And it doesn't really matter whether anybody else accepts me or rejects me. It does not matter if I have your love, your acceptance, your forgiveness, and if I have you on my side. And that became a very real story for my life today. Amen. All of us have something about the story of rejection in our lives that we need to deal with. And in the example of this man named Joseph, a lesson comes out. And here's the lesson. When all others reject you, God does not. And he is enough. Yes. You believe that today? Yes. When everybody else rejects you, for whatever reason they reject you, 
They may mean it evil against you, but God means this for good. You're mine, I've chosen you, I love you, I have my eyes set on you, you're the object of my affection. God will not reject you. And that's true. Joseph's story is a story of rejection, but it's also a story of false accusation. As we pass over his life very quickly, another chapter in his life is found in chapter 39, where Joseph has now been sold into slavery because of the rejection of his brothers, bought by Potiphar, now serving in Potiphar's house. He's become a servant with much trust. And one day he finds himself in the house alone with Potiphar's wife who sees him and desires him sexually. The Bible says this is a handsome man and this woman, Potiphar's wife, desired him. In fact, chapter 39, verse seven and eight, the scripture says his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. That's a, an Old Testament biblical term for saying, have sex with me, and he refused. Now this is an incredible moment because not only did he refuse and resist the temptation, and there are all kinds of lessons in here that we'll briefly look at, but this woman then begins to falsely accuse him of assaulting her. She grabs his garment. He flees after having said, there's no way that this is going to take place. I'm going to serve God and my master, not you. And so he leaves and, and leaves behind his, his coat, which he's grabbed hold of. And now he is falsely accused. And this is really an unwinnable moment for Joseph. It's unwinnable because who is not going to believe Potiphar's wife? I mean, she's one of the top leaders in the land next to Potiphar. And there are all kinds of lessons here. The awareness of danger, always being aware of false accusation is important. The opportunity for accusation and how you respond when temptation comes. It's amazing that in his response to her, he said, how could I sin against my God, add against my master by doing this with you? He looked to God first. He looked at the responsibilities before he made the answer to refuse. The purity of mind in this man, Joseph, is incredible. But Joseph is an enslaved foreigner. He's not going to have a chance with this false accusation. There's not going to be a trial. There are no witnesses except for God. It's going to be his word against her word. And in the way the story unfolds, of course, Potiphar believes his wife and is angry and throws Joseph in prison, so he's got this false accusation hanging on him and no way to personally eradicate that false accusation. But God is on his side. And God knows the truth. There's a lesson here that we learn even in this story, this stage of Joseph's life, and here's the lesson. When others believe the worst about you, God stands with you. When others believe the worst, God stands with you. You know what it's like to be falsely accused. Maybe someone has said something about you. Maybe someone's crafted a lie in order to have an advantage over you or to pull you down. It's amazing how wicked, how evil people can be. It's amazing how people can make up things out of thin air, craft lies and tell them very, very convincingly to other people. And it's equally amazing how lies spread from one person to another. And before long, everybody believes something that has never happened at all. And that's what's happening in Joseph's life. It's painful because it violates his sense of purity before God and before his boss, his maker, his purity of mind that he is doing well in. 
But the reality is when others believe the worst about you, God does stand with you. If you look at chapter 39, where all this unfolds at the book of Genesis, you'll see one phrase repeated three times. You'll see it three times. You'll find it in verse 2. You'll find it in verse 21. You'll find it in verse 23. And here's the phrase. I love it. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar's wife was falsely accusing him. Potiphar himself was angry, threw him in prison. Nobody else came to his aid. Nobody else could verify him, but the Lord was with Joseph. Now that's something that'll keep you in the midst of a false accusation. That's something that will hold you and help you in the midst of a time of trial. When everybody's looking at you as though you are the evil one, the bottom line is the Lord was with Joseph. I'm so glad the Lord is with us. I'm so glad that God doesn't desert us. And we see in the life of Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. But it's also a story, not only of rejection and false accusation, but this is a big one, the story of abandonment. The story of abandonment. You see, one of the things that God favored Joseph with was the ability to interpret dreams. And in prison, while he was serving out this term, this unlimited term, that had been placed on him by the false accusation. There were two in that prison that had dreams and Joseph interpreted those dreams by the power of God and got them right. And in one of those dreams, the man lived as Joseph said he would and became the cupbearer of the king one more time. And in chapter 40, the story of the cupbearer is important. The very last thing that Joseph says to the cupbearer when he's getting out of prison is, He says to the cupbearer, remember me when you're free. So in chapter 40, we see that freed cupbearer and part of his story. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so for two years, after Joseph has helped this man get free, he's forgotten. He's forgotten by the cupbearer. Potiphar probably doesn't remember him anymore. No one else is remembering Joseph. And here is this young man who has the favor of God. The Lord is with him. He's falsely accused. He's already been rejected by much of his family, much of his life. And here he's in prison all by himself. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting for God to open some door for him. This is the time of waiting for Joseph. Two years is how long the Bible says he's left in that prison forgotten. Now that doesn't sound like a long time unless you're Joseph. And you're in his shoes and you're in that prison cell. This is a story of waiting. It's a story where you can imagine Joseph saying, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will it be before you make the truth known? How long, O Lord, before you rescue me, before you set me free, before the truth comes out, before I'm vindicated in some way? Lord, you know and I know I did nothing wrong. So Lord, how long do I have to wait here in this place in this prison, in this jail. There's a line that's kind of nice to say. Sometimes it sounds too easy to say, but when you're walking through it, it's important to remember. And that line is, while you are waiting, God is working. While you're waiting, God is working. I know that sounds trivial when you're going through trials and difficulties and someone comes up alongside of you and say, I know you've waited 10 years for this and I know you've waited for God to intervene on your behalf and, and to help you or to provide for you or to heal you, whatever it might be. And I know you're waiting on God, but just remember, while you're waiting, God is working. Now, 
I know that sounds trivial, but I'm going to tell you, it's the rock solid truth. God is always working. And if you're in a weight state, he's still working. And it doesn't matter where you are in life. God is always working and he's always positioning your circumstance for glory and good later on down the road. And you must believe that. You must believe it when you're at your lowest point that while you're waiting, God is working. And I wish I could tell you the exact hour and the moment and the day that he will intervene. I wish I could tell you so it would help you to hold on. It would help you to keep waiting. It would help you to keep believing. But I don't know when it's going to be. And I don't know how it's going to come. But I know this, that God is faithful to bring it about. Keep waiting. Keep holding on. Keep trusting. Keep believing. God will come through. Here's a lesson from the life of Joseph during his time of abandonment. When it seems you are completely forgotten, God knows exactly where you are. God allowed Joseph to be in that jail cell so that when Pharaoh had a dream, the cupbearer had gained enough favor with Pharaoh to say, I don't know how to interpret that dream, but there's a man in prison that interpreted the dream that later got me out, and I believe he could help you. And God used all that time, all that preparation, all that waiting to work in such a way to position Joseph to be where he needed to be at that exact time. God always knows where you are, and he's preparing you for an incredible moment in the days ahead. You have to believe that. You have to remember that. God brings people way back from huge setbacks coming back in a big way, but he's preparing you all the way in order to get you there. But this is also a story, and I'm really happy to say it. It's not just a story of rejection, not just a story of false accusation or abandonment. This is the story of victory. Somebody say the word victory. victory. You see, that word is really a cool word. It's a powerful word, especially in the midst of a message where the first three points are all bad news points. It's not good news that you rejected. It's not good news that you've been falsely accused. It's not good news that you are forgotten or abandoned. But it is good news that there's still victory in spite of all those things. There's still victory. Now, here's how God does this. He allows Joseph to respond wisely to everything around him. And this is what Joseph did. He loved in spite of rejection. He endured false accusation. He forgave those who wrote him off and abandoned him. He wanted to and he did finish well, but he finished well because of his father, God, who helped him through it all. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He had favor in the sight of the Lord. Now, I need you to know this today. It's really important that you carry this out of here today. That suffering is never just suffering as an end in itself. Waiting and being accused is never just something that's an end in itself. Maybe someone who's accused you thinks it's an end in itself, but it never is with God. Nothing's really over until God speaks in a final way. It's important for you to see that. It's also important that no matter how many times you fall, God is there to get you up and help you finish the race well. You need to know that. A few years ago, a video captured my attention. Actually, it was something I watched take place back in 1992 at the Barcelona Olympics. And there was a runner for the 400-meter race that didn't finish the race at first. 
but then finished it really well. I want you to see the video of Derek Redmond in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Man, I love that video. And you know, I know Derek Redmond's name really well, but I don't remember who finished that race in first place in that 400 meter semifinal. I don't remember who won the gold medal that year in the 400 meter semifinal or final. I, I, I don't remember much about the whole Olympics, but I remember Derek Redmond. But I remember Derek Redmond most because of his father who came down and out of that stand and he helped him across the finish line. I remember the name of Jim Redmond because that dad was there during the time his son needed him to help him finish the race. Now all kinds of spiritual applications are coming here, but what a, what a great name to have, Jim Redmond. The dad who said, I'm gonna walk you across the finish line no matter how tough it is, even if it's devastating to your future, I'm gonna help you across the finish line. I watched several versions of that video and some of those versions are uh, where different bystanders come down to try to help Derek finish the race, you know, race officials and so forth. And that father just pushed them all away and said, no way, we're gonna do this together. And he came across the finish line. I watched that and I think how many times has my heavenly father helped me across the finish line of a race I could not even finish. How many times has he helped me get through? when I didn't have the physical strength or the spiritual energy to just keep going, but my heavenly father was there and he helped me through. And at the end of it all, I look back at those races and I think of all the incredible things God has done when it might've seemed like evil, but God meant it for good. That's just the way your heavenly father works. It's a powerful, powerful picture of what God does. And Joseph's picture is even more powerful than an Olympic athlete in these things that he walks through in life. Here's the bottom line. There's only one way to get through life the way Joseph did, and that's by absolute trust in your heavenly Father and the God that you know. So important. And sometimes we look around wildly because we don't know why God is letting certain things happen to us, but in the end, we can trust him. When I was six years old, I was given penicillin uh, to battle a sickness and it turns out I'm allergic to penicillin and had a severe reaction to that. So my heart stopped beating and I passed out, but I remember in passing out, my father running across the street of the small town we lived in to the clinic, just a few yards away, and getting me on the ER bed. I remember doctors coming in, kind of flashing in and out of consciousness, but I do remember one doctor getting a very large hypothermic needle. It looked like it was about that big. And the long needle was pointed right at my chest and they were going to inject my heart directly with a drug that would let it start beating again. And I do remember my eyes got really wide as I saw that needle coming towards me. And then I looked over to my right, and there was my father who had taken me there to the hospital and I just kept looking at his face like, why would you let them stick this into my chest? I mean, that's a natural thing to wonder. But my dad said, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. So I remember closing my eyes, that needle went in, and I remember coming through the next day, a couple of days later, I was just a fine young boy running around doing whatever I did before. But my father watched the intrusion of that needle into my chest because he knew I needed it at that moment. Sometimes when you look at God, the Father, you have to keep in mind that as painful as your circumstance is, God, is allowing it to happen for a very, very good, divine, powerful, supernatural reason. And you've just got to trust him. And I know along the way we have lots of questions about God. And I thought ultimately the statement that we have 
been looking at is a statement that causes us to wonder, why does God allow tough things like this to happen to Joseph or to anybody else? We ask the question like this often. We say, how do we think about the sovereignty of God in a world where Satan and evil exist? I read something written by a guy named Christopher Ashe a couple of weeks ago. He writes this about that struggle, about the sovereignty of God and the presence of evil. He said, on the one hand, we may neglect Satan altogether and just assume that God rules the world in a simple and direct way. And if we do that, we may think that God is responsible for sin and evil. On the other hand, we may think of Satan or sin as a second independent autonomous power of evil, in which case the universe becomes terrifyingly uncertain, since we may never be sure whether God or Satan may win in any particular round of their contest. That's what Christopher Ash said. But the truth is, neither of these statements is a true reflection of the sovereignty of God. Why? Because we know that what God does is supernatural and sovereign over all evil and over all wickedness. Here's a statement for you. In the sovereignty of God, even acts of evil serve His ultimate good. Even the evil intent of the brothers who wanted to murder Joseph, but instead sent him to be a slave. Even the evil intent of Potiphar's wife, even the forgetfulness of the cupbearer in prison, all these things, and the sovereignty of God, even these acts of evil are subservient to his ultimate good. He causes these things to work together for good. Satan is subservient to the purpose of God in the life of Job. Evil is subservient to the purpose of God in the life of Joseph and yours. You need to live this way. You can't understand why God let something happen in your life, but you can understand that God's sovereignty is over all that. He doesn't cause the evil. He doesn't cause wickedness, but he causes wickedness to work together for good. Only God can do that. Only God who is sovereign in control can allow those things to happen and them to work well. That's why Joseph is able to say, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Wow. You know, we have a New Testament version of that verse, don't, don't you? It's Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, we know, we're confident, we're sure because we know who God is. We know how sovereign God is. We know how, how weak wickedness really is. We know God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. That's how you need to live. You need to live as though you know God's in control because he is. You need to live as though you realize even wickedness and evil can somehow be subservient to the greater purposes of God and you just have to trust him. You need to live in such a way so that you know when you're broken down, unable to finish the race, your heavenly father will get you through. You need to live as though when a needle goes into your heart or to your life or to your soul, your heavenly father is sitting there aware and able to help you through to the other side. He only lets it happen because he knows there will be a good as a result of all that's going to take place. God is that God that we worship. And that's the God of Jacob. That's the God of Joseph. That's our God that we serve. So take the life of Joseph for just a few moments. Do you see how Joseph's life is such a great picture, a type of Christ? 
Everything in Joseph's life foretold the greatness of Christ who was to come. A type is someone whose characteristics show us something about a greater one that's coming. And Christ, of course, is the greater one. Joseph was rejected. Jesus was rejected. Joseph was falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused. Joseph was abandoned. Jesus was abandoned. Everyone left him when he was on the cross. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, Peter says this about Christ. He says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. And of course, Jesus knew that his suffering and his pain had an ultimate good. And that ultimate good was so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin and be given the right to be called the children of God. If anybody never deserved evil, pain, desertion, abandonment, it was Jesus. But he went through it all so that we might have that ultimate good, salvation because of his sacrifice. I know this today about you. I know every single person today needs to know, be reminded that you're loved by God, that God has a purpose for your life, and that ultimately you find all those things through the person of Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to know today that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're putting your faith and trust in someone that has gone all the way for you, who has experienced every temptation but never gave in, who perfectly laid his life on the cross so that he could pay for sin, your sin, my sin, and give you the gift of eternal life. You need to know that you can come to him and put your faith and trust in him, and he will forgive you and give you eternal life. And if you've never done that, you should do that in these next few moments. This is a moment of decision. It might be today that you've already done that, that, that act of faith in Christ. You've already made that decision. But here you are as a believer going through hardship in life. You go back to the life of Joseph and you just remember that they may have meant it for evil, but God means it for good. Trust God for the tough times in your life. Would you bow with me right now? As our counselors come, as we pray, in just a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, we're going to worship. And I'm going to invite you in just a few moments to come and pray with someone that's standing and waiting and ready just to join you in prayer. It may be a decision you need to make. It may be just prayer you need. Someone to say, I will pray with you about God's purposes for your life, about helping you through these tough times. But whatever it is, I want you to just to make those decisions these next few moments as you worship and as you surrender. Father, in Jesus' name, as we pray, we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to worship you. We're going to believe you. We're going to apply the Scripture and the story of Joseph and the story of Christ to the reality of our lives right here, right now. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Worship.